1: Hello and welcome into the twenty four seven sports football recruiting podcast. I'm national recruiting analyst to Tagner, alongside twenty four seven sports director of scouting Andrew Ivins, who is back in his home state of Florida after a long week in California. I don't know about you, man, but I got some sun. Like it was, <laughs> it was shady out there. I came back. My wife is like, "Did you wear a sunscreen?" I'm like, "It was only one day where the sun really came out." I'm burnt. This is like as burnt as I've been in a in a really long time.
2: It's funny you say that because my wife, <laughs> literally uh, 15 minutes ago, is like, "All right, we need to start thinking about long-term skincare." Because I got fried as well. It's the what is it? What do they call it? The, the the June June gloom or?
1: That's right. That's what I heard. I heard. I heard that on the broadcast of the U.S. Open, somebody was complaining about that because it wasn't until like one or two o'clock until the clouds really kind of burnt off and then the sun came out.
2: Yeah, my face is like, I, don't, I am, my face feels like it got blasted by the sun.
1: Yeah, caught a couple strays out there, man. Me and you both, Both the Oyster Boys are not used to the the cool wind off the Pacific Northwest. Ray Baker, as Coach Orgeron used to call it, his fight against the sun every every single day. But a good week, man. Had a lot going on. Shout out Spring Hill Sweets one time for putting the Oyster Boys up, taking care of us as always. Uh, drew, Elite 11 Finals. Julian saying MVP of that event. We'll talk about him in a second. Also, overtime seven on seven OT seven finals out there as well. What a spectacle that event is, huh?
2: Yeah, yeah. You got it
1: going on. I saw you. I uh, saw you put it on the Instagram. I saw you got a little uh, you got a little was, booth love, right?
2: I was in the broadcast booth for a little bit on on uh, on Sunday. They needed some help. <laughs> I, I, they were. I was they were calling a game and I was up in the booth and they kept calling Tremel Jones who's the 2025 FSU quarterback commit. They kept calling him Trevor Jackson for probably a solid 10 minutes. And I just had to be like, hey guys, that's that's Tremel Jones. And it is what it is. Uh, no, it was a good few days of football. I think a lot of people are probably wondering why we didn't do an instant reaction kind of after Friday or Saturday or Sunday, but the reality is you were flying, I was flying, I was at the OT7, I did go to the U.S. Open round three, and it was probably best to, I don't know, digest and think things over before jumping back in here and and putting a bow on the Elite 11 finals. I think we learned a lot from those three days, and then, you know, some of the quarterbacks threw at the uh ot7 finals julian saying i I put together a dream team for that tournament and julian saying was the quarterback you know he he went from one event right into the other you love to see it so i don't know Coop. i guess let's start at the top like what is your now that you've had 72 hours to think things over just give me the biggest takeaway you have coming out of the elite 11 finals
1: well I, i was really focused on that California one versus two, right? Like Elijah Brown, who we have at 33, Julian saying that we have at 34. I think you could come out of that. Not I think. I mean, I'm going to be pretty convicted on this. Those two guys in terms of where we see them going opposite directions, right? Julian saying MVP of the event. I thought he had a super clean week. We've talked about it. If you've listened to the prior podcast, I think just – Physically, he surprised me, you know, and, and the thing about him, I'm going to be interested to watch this fall, doesn't always pop on tape. Statistically, he's super clean. He's over 70%, I, I believe, in his career and completion rate. But you don't always see those kind of like wow plays on tape, right? He did some things this week to made, make me believe that he's got a lot more uh, to be developed at the next level, which is what I'm excited about. And I, I kind of want to see that translate to the next level. On Elijah Brown, he did not make the Elite 11, the final Elite 11 by the Elite 11 finals. He did not make ours either. That being said, he he commits to Stanford yesterday, I believe, right? Sunday, yep. Sunday, and I think that's a huge gift for Troy Taylor, and I think it's a little bit symbolic of where they're going. I know Stanford, for you and I, is going to be a talking point later this week, but I like Elijah Brown. Like we said, we talk about the resume, 29-1 and one as a starter. I think the arm, when you're projecting the Sundays, leaves a lot to be desired. Um, and I don't know if that was his setting. I think when you go see him on a Friday night playing against some of the best competition in the country, you're going to take a lot more away from Elijah Brown. So that was, uh, you know, I, I would say, like, I want to preface it. that Maybe that's not the biggest takeaway, but off the top of my head, that was kind of what I was – that was the storyline that i had circled going into the event that I, I really wanted to get that figured out and i think we got a we got a clear answer there.
2: Yeah, you mentioned Julian Sain in that resume. Uh, for all we talk about Elijah Brown being 29 and 1 on Friday nights, you know, Aaron Nolan 28 and 3. I mean, Julian Sain is 21 and 3. Uh i set it 10.93 yards per attempt, which is i think second best amongst the elite 11. Finalist. That means he's pushing it down the field. Not a ton of checkdowns. I mean, it's not a uh, bulletproof statistic, but I mean, you can kind of gather some of that, or or gather or pull some information. Uh, Sixty-eight point six percent, like you said, over his two seasons. Throwing an interception just once every fifty-six pass attempts. I think coming into the Elite Eleven, with Julian saying, I viewed him as a a high floor prospect, right? But I didn't know and i don't i have been struggling to find the term for this i didn't know his growth potential like how much more you could get out of him but after watching him at redondo union high after seeing him at golden west college like i think there's still room for him to get even better does that does that make sense cooper like i, I thought he was kind of is what he, he is what he is but i, think I thought
1: it, yeah it, i like coming into the week you know we got the update coming out at the end of the month here soon and it's high priority on the quarterbacks but initially going into the event i thought he was closer to 64 than he was to 32 right and i think leaving that event not to be like hey it's just it's it's one it's one point on this uh you know I would say like in in the in the whole scope of the evaluation process it's just one data point right so we don't want to get carried away with it that being said i think you know we got him at 34 right now and i think we left saying like hey he's got a legitimate he's got a legitimate argument to be in the top 32.
2: i just love the fit at alabama too right looking at what they've taken in recent cycles knowing that tommy reese the former Notre Dame offensive coordinator now is going to be calling plays in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I would anticipate they're going to, you know, kind of play to Julian's strengths. And, and that's just the offense in general. Like, I think it's going to be a lot of of play action. It's going to be a lot of getting the tight ends involved. And having seen Julian say and operate, and yes, this was routes on air. Uh, there was no pass rush, but he is he is pinpoint accurate when he wants to be. Right, yeah, I mean, there are stretches where he is is dialed in, and I saw that at OT seven. I think one game he he only had one or two incompletions. Um, you know that that accuracy is his strength. He is a guy that can can distribute and put the ball where it needs to be. So I, I think for Alabama, I, I guess that maybe is a takeaway for me on Julian saying like I didn't know if he would be the long term answer for the Crimson Tide but I can see him being that guy.
1: They needed him too. like, I I don't know if a lot of people are talking about that, that quarterback room, what you got right now, Milro, Ty Simpson, maybe one of those guys emerges over the next couple of years for Alabama. But to me, I wasn't high on the Eli Holstein, Dylan Lonergan two two quarterback class. Like I think they needed to hit here and I think they did a better job than what I, what I originally thought, you know, um, and I'm excited. I'm excited to see him in his senior year. And like you said, I think coming away from it is I, I think it's clear they got one of the best quarterbacks in the country.
2: All right, Dylan Rayola, what what is your what is your takeaway there? I've had a lot of people going so uh, saying over Rayola that that was a common question I got as I uh, walked around the overtime seven sidelines on Sunday.
1: In terms of the event, I mean, it's easy to get it's easy to get like I would say emotionally involved and involved right like it's it's easy to give a impulse take but I think there's a sizable gap in terms of NFL traits between Dylan Rayola and whoever's next and I I still firmly believe that after seeing you know him compete with other 19 of the nation's best quarterbacks and you know he can do some things uh, that I don't think any other player can do at that position uh, in this cycle and He's big. He's mobile. He's agile. He's comfortable outside of the pocket. He can play off platform. In terms of his deep ball ability, I really like. Um, you know, there were a couple times whether it was the accuracy challenge or other portions of the event, you kind of felt him forcing it a little bit. I just like no pause hesitation with that. Like to me, those are all coachable things that come with reps and confidence. Now I would like to see him step it on the f- step it up on the field in terms of production. Like I want to see him carry that. Like, I I want the talent to match the production, or excuse me, the production to match the talent. So no, I I walked away more convinced he's not perfect, right? None of these guys are. I mean, they're seventeen years old, uh, the majority of them. So no, like I I didn't. There was. No part of me this weekend was like, hey, maybe Julian Sainz better than Dylan Rayola, or maybe Luke Cromanoke is better than Dylan Rayola." Who knows? Three or four years down the line. But in terms of his projectable potential and what he is already, no, I'm very con- convinced. And it, it wasn't like a world beater performance, but it was enough for me to say, like, yeah, undoubtedly, like, this guy's the number one player in the country. The, the the number two player pushing him is a receiver, right? So like the positional value comes into it a little bit. And I'm, I'll say it, like one through 247, it's a down year. Right. And we got a lot of good quarterbacks, but they're closer to the back end of the 32 or the middle of the second round than they are top 10 legit arms, in my opinion.
2: I think we need to point out, um, that there was some conversation about making Rayola our alpha dog for the week. It's not like it was just a, a slam dunk for Julian saying, uh, and I, I think maybe I was, I was the only one kind of leading the charge on, on Rayola.
1: Yeah, but it wasn't like, it wasn't, I wasn't surprised to hear you say that by any means, you know, like I thought what put saying over the edge at the end of the day was consistency from day one to day three, right? He was he was the most consistent arm that I think did some things that maybe caught us off guard a little bit uh, on night two specifically uh, that kind of put him over the edge. But I thought Rayola was the best quarterback when it came to the seven-on-seven seven setting. And honestly, when the bullets are flying, and I think when he's not thinking, that's when he's at his best.
2: Yeah, I, I charted his seven-on-seven seven game, so – for those unaware, each quarterback got fifteen minutes to lead as many drives as they could from the forty-yard line in, um, and it, w- it was seven on seven, so it wasn't the deepest collection of skill players, but there were some, you know, power five caliber prospects running around out there. I think Jeremiah Smith played in one of the games. Our guy Luke Ren- Luke Reynolds, the the Penn State commit, he he was out there you know, just being Luke Reynolds. Um, And I I think there was some fatigue for some of the defenses. I think some of the receivers eventually got tired. So, you know, it depends on when that quarterback went. But I I charted Rayola's game. I had him 12 of 16 for 188 yards, four touchdowns. And uh, most of those were very, very high level throws. So I think that's why I was kind of pushing for him, just given what he had done night one. You know night two, he was kind of in the, the second tier of the pro days, and then I thought he had the best uh seven on seven performance, or, or at least one of the better ones. I'll say this, you know, a, a, a question for me coming in was Dylan Rayola versus Ryan Puglisi. You know, they are two hundred they're separated by two hundred spots in our rankings. I thought that gap was maybe a little bit closer than than. You know, 200 spots. I, I still think Dylan Rayola looks like the guy, and this isn't a knock on Puglisi. Pugs is what he says his nickname is. It's not Pugga unfortunately. Um, I, I, I thought Puglisi, You can see it. He's just still got a ways to go, right? He has a a very live arm, which isn't surprising given the baseball background. You know, throws 93 miles on the on the mound, can apparently. Throw a ball 73 yards in the air. I, I think the accuracy needs to, to get there. And I, I think he might have been a little, I don't want to say overwhelmed by this event, but someone that doesn't play a ton on a ton on seven on seven, someone that's not doing a, a ton of camps. So I don't want to say there's like a deer in the headlight type of moment. Um, but maybe, you know, this was this was a step up for him that he wasn't necessarily ready for at this juncture. So we'll we'll see. Like you you have said it so many times when we talk about Georgia in their quarterback room, Kirby's going to play the guy that gives him the best chance to win. Um, I think Dylan Rayola ha- obviously, I mean, has the the higher ceiling, but I think you can win with Ryan Puglisi. Um, and, and maybe if you're the Bulldogs, like this is the perfect situation, you know, like just two quarterbacks, and they're both going to push each other uh, for the foreseeable future.
1: Great part about Georgia is if you're a quarterback, like – you don't need to be a superhero, right? You don't need it. You don't need a cape. You've had twenty-five players drafted over the last two years. We continue to bring up that stat. How impressive that is, but with what they're able to do to kind of dictate the game defensively, right? With that front seven and an aggressive back end as well, and then what what they're able to do on the offensive line in the run game. Well, Dil- nice,
2: Dil- Dylan Rayola in theory should allow them to challenge the deeper third like never they haven't been able to in the past.
1: Yeah, I, I took a little bit of flack for this, like, but when he committed, I thought I was like, hey, this is a really good fit because I think it opens a play action passing game for them, which I think is his best quality, right? Is being able to throw that deep ball accurately. And that showed up a number of times times this week. I didn't I didn't think there was anybody even kind of like remotely in the same realm of what Dylan Rayleigh was kind of in, in, able in terms to do of with the deep ball.
2: In terms of the touch, all the of place it. the placement, the pace, the and, the and the consistency, right? Like there were some flashes from up some other guys with the deep ball, but if we were to hand out an award, it would go to him for best deep ball.
1: It's a low percentage throw, right? I mean, those those are explosive plays. So um no, I thought he was he was excellent in that area. And, and with Puglisi, just to, to touch on it, I agree with everything you said. I think you see the baseball background a little bit. He, he kind of wants to – he's got one speed, right? He's kind of like a closer um, with that fastball that he relies on. And I think with him, it's just about slowing everything down mechanically, right? Even when you watch him on tape a little bit, he's got a really high pace play tempo. And I think the biggest thing for him is just starting to kind of slow down. Like you talked about, that comes with reps, experience. He needs he needs to get more of that under his belt. But I, two quarterback class, you got the number one quarterback in the country. You got another guy with an NFL arm, right?
2: So I thought one of the, now that I'm looking back on it, one of the most interesting things, and I, I still need to go through all the audio, but I asked, I think I spoke to 18 of the 20 finalists at check-in. Julian Sane was not one of them. He was like the only guy I missed. But I asked each one of these kids, "All right, when did the quarterback specific training start?" Now I, I know I touched on this on the last episode. Um, a lot of them is around like seventh grade. But then I asked, like, "Hey, how many different quarterback trainers have you worked with?" And I the median number is probably like four or five. And there's a handful of guys that have only just worked with one individual. And I believe Ryan Puglisi has just worked with one individual. Now, this is not a knock on that on that individual, but I do think he gets to Georgia, right? Now you're working with Mike Bobo. You're getting exposed to some different type of coaching. I think that could potentially unlock some things. And again, this is not a knock on Ryan Puglisi's coach or anything, but uh, it's kind of like a man, we always talk about it on this on this podcast. It's kind of like a golf swing, right? Like you got your swing coach. you bring in some outside consultants, you know, just trying to pick up and and work on different things.
1: yeah, I'm on my third golf coach right now. I've only been playing for a year, right? So there you go. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the twenty four seven sports football recruiting podcast.
0: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential?
1: Point blank for you, and I'm not even like I think, you know, we can do it in the in the scope of what we saw out in L.A. But I mean, in your in in the way you see it, if you had Rayola or saying one or two, vice versa, right? Who who was the third arm for you,
2: Aaron Noland? But I think you could make a case for Luke Cromenhock, and I think you can make a case for uh, CJ Carr. So now I throw it back to you.
1: I'd go Chrominoak. Like, and I get the, the day two performance to add a little bit of context was poorly scored. And what I mean by that is, you know, it, it wasn't the result that I think and Oak would have hoped for. I think he was, well, somehow, the issue a little bit. I think he came out, of, I think you said this. I think he came out at day one and said, like, I'm in this. Right. And I think it kind of showed up in day two where it got a little big for him. And you saw him kind of forcing the issue a little bit that being said I, I i didn't walk away from that and was like down on him by any means to me luke croman like in my personal opinion was the one guy that i was hoping that would live up to the expectations like there was there were a certain aspects that i wanted to see with him and i think he met all those expectations and maybe the consistency was not there in terms of those high-level traits that we're talking about, but the flashes were, right? And this is a guy that we've talked about it, right? He used to play receiver, and he was on special teams, you know, like kickoff units, right, not too long ago. So not a ton of familiarity with the quarterback position. And at times, I thought he was the second most talented quarterback there. On night one, I was, you know, I said it on the pod. I was, I was blown away. And then day two, I think, was a down day. And I think day three was a little bit of a mixed bag, but he kind of rallied late, right, as you alluded to. So I love Luke Cromanoak. I think this is a program builder for Florida State and somebody that they can build around at the quarterback position. I think the other aspect of his game that we don't talk about a lot and and you don't see in the setting is that he's a good athlete. And he's a guy that you have to account for on the ground as well pro comp, Ryan Tannehill. He's the guy to me, Andrew, like if we were in an NFL draft war room and we were a couple months out and he's going through this evaluation process, maybe it's a postseason all-star event, maybe it's a combine. He's the guy that just steadily climbs the draft boards. Right. And I don't really see it being any different from us. I mean, like the more you kind of learn about them, the more you really like
2: them. I don't know if you're gonna agree here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna float this out. Is he the best on the move when it comes to distributing the football? And and maybe we didn't see it in Los Angeles, but I'm talking on tape, right? I like Dylan Rayola, how he moves around in the pocket. I, I think he's kind of savvy in there. And he's not much of a a threat as a runner, but Luke Cromanoke he can roll out right and he can he can pepper it down the field and hit his marks but he's also you know if he sees the lane he's going to get 10 yards he's you know i and i'm trying to think of who else in the class can you know, or of this group can do that like we've said with Aaron Nolan he wants to play in the pocket julian saying and i brought this up on our our what was that it's like a post game show for the elite 11 you know, Julian Sain is one of the only individuals here, or at the Elite Eleven Finals, that if you watch his junior stuff, like he works under center at times. And I think that might have helped him a little bit. You know, a lot of the a lot of the stations, you got to take a, a a drop from a tee. You know, in on an under center stance. So I think that's something about Chrome Oak. You said I, you brought up him coming on late friday during seven on seven he started off back-to-back sacks right so you have what four or five seconds to get rid of the football if you don't it's a coverage sack plays blown dead so i don't think anyone else started off with two straight sacks i think first drive didn't score and and then he rallied off three straight scoring drives and they were balls over the middle hitting breaking routes perfectly timed with enough juice to get there. I think they were some some big-time throws, Coop. And I haven't even told you this. I mean, I heard it from up in the press box, but he was one of the only quarterbacks that was, like, actively rallying his his teammates. Like, he was like, let's, let's go, boys. Let's get another one. And, I mean, read into that however much you want. But, um, you know, body language, I, I do think, kind of shows up. And I was talking with someone, uh, another media member, uh Jeff Sintel, who uh, covers Georgia, does an excellent job. We were kind of talking before the seven on seven, and he brought up a couple of years ago during the seven on seven stuff, or maybe it was the pro day. Uh, but TJ Finley, who was at LSU now at Auburn, you know, he was a guy who struggled and 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 kind of just put himself in a bit of a shell, and uh, you know, I I, I think that. Is something you can pull away from it because I've heard different things about TJ Finley and, and kind of his attitude. So it it was, it was nice to see Luke, you know, kind of getting the boys going and and wanting to score, right. He didn't want to play safe. He wanted to, you know, score as many touchdowns as he could.
1: A little bit of context to this for whatever reason, it was like a super low energy event. Yeah. Years in the past, like this is my first time attending, but, you could even see it when you were on the personnel side and you get the video back from UC report. It's typically lively, right? For whatever reason. I mean, I felt like the events this weekend, they just kind of, this is nothing against elite 11 or OT seven, but the, the energy was just kind of, it's kind of dead. It kind of didn't feel like, I don't know if everybody who was out there wanted to be out there. And that's kind of what it
2: felt like. I would co-stamp that. And I've been working on a theory I just think it's with all the all the visits going on right now you know guys on official visits schools pressing for commitments I think it's it's weighing weighing on the kids it's not like I mean five six years ago no one's taking official visits in the middle of summer this is the summer event now the There's summer a lot going on. Now, now the summer events. Going to a school, taking some photos with a, a luxury car.
1: Anyway, I like that conversation. I think three through six is going to be interesting, right? Because you got a couple names in there. You you tossed out Aaron Olin, Luke Chromanok. We talked about CJ Carr. then think we'll get back to in a in a minute. DJ Lagway, another arm. Jade Davis. We haven't even talked about him. Number two ring signal caller in the country. Drew, I've had a I've had a lot of questions because it seems like there's been a lot of different reports depending on who you talk to about CJ Carr, but you know, your general takeaways on him and I'll I'll say this, like you and I were, we had, we had some expectations for him coming in into the event. So I'd love to get your thoughts on, Hey, did he meet those expectations? Was it a mixed bag? Was this a guy who underperformed? What, what were your thoughts on, on CJ Carr?
2: I think I was hoping for a little bit more, but I don't, I don't. I'm not walking away disappointed, if that if that makes sense, right?
1: I said the exact same thing on Twitter. I was doing a, a Q and A on Twitter while I was flying flying back from LA, and like a Notre Dame fan asked me, you know, what I thought about CJ Carr? And It was almost the exact words I said. Expect it more, but in, in no way, shape, or form disappointed by what we saw.
2: Quiet night one. During the three-hour workout, scored for us in the upper top five for the pro day, and then his seven-on-seven seven game. And how did he do in the accuracy challenge? I, I don't have that number in front of me. I think he did
1: well. I think he had, the seven-on-seven seven well game
2: course. that was your that was your side of the field, but I was trying to peek over, and it seems like he was hesitating the entire time. It was.
1: You know, you talked to the Elite 11 staff and kind of came up, like, depending on what side of the field you're on, you know, because they have two games going at once. I think there was one side of the field that in terms of talent allocation at the skill positions was a little bit lopsided. And then defensively, the same deal, right? So I think in C.J. Carr's case, he was going up against one of the better defensive units and maybe – a little bit less equipped in, in terms of surrounding talent that being said i mean you know like you you, you got to be a little bit realistic with it i i expected more decisiveness and assertiveness from cj carr you, you talked about the hesitation you know i thought this was a guy at times that did a good job of uh, attacking the deep third but you know, like in, in terms of experience, I, I expected him to kind of be the one that came out like Julian Sain did like a vet, right. And, and kind of have that vet presence. And I think at times he kind of shelled up a little bit. Uh, that being said, just kind of being around him the way that he's wired. I could also see himself putting a lot of pressure on himself.
2: Yeah, that's fair.
1: So I don't, like in terms of do I draw anything negative from that long term? No, you know. Um, but I did expect more.
2: I think. I think I wrote this. Like, I come out of it. He's got the prototypical frame. He has it between the ears. We've seen him make the throws. We saw some some magic as a junior. Want to see what he does as a senior? We're also going to get him in the All American Bowl. I believe he was the second quarterback invite for that. Jaden Davis was the first. So, like, I, I think he can. I think he can win on Saturdays, and I think he can play on Sundays. Is that is that a fair way to to put it?
1: I think that's fair. I mean, I think for a handful of these guys, Julian Sain included. We wanted to see if they could play their way into the five star conversation, and I think for the both of us, we both thought that CJ Carr would be one of those guys that would rise to that occasion and make it very difficult for us to keep him out. And point blank, I don't think he did that. But
2: that doesn't that's mean he okay, can't,
1: that, right? I mean, he's, that, that, he's still got another—he's got another fall under his belt, right? So, and then twelve games
2: in an All Star game. Twelve and a games week, and all and star a week of games, practices.
1: and ultimately at the end of the day, that's more important than you know whatever we've seen over the last week. So, no, I'm 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 not selling any stock on on CJ Carr by any means. True, Jaden Davis,
2: where do you want you know, to start with him?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's interesting. It, it's every time we talk about the top quarterbacks, I almost feel like we just <laughs> he's a guy that we forget about, right? It's easy to forget about because I think when you stack them up with some of these other guys, we talked about, we talked about Rayola, we've talked about Saiyan, we've talked about Chromino, talked a little bit about Aaron Nolan. I think when you start with him and you talk about when it comes to our rankings, I don't think he has the type of physical clay that matches up with some of those names that we've already discussed. But he does some things that I really like. And you talk about the floor. You talk about what's between the ears very charismatic i thought like you know we kind of went into it and said all right this is going to be a guy that's going to have to battle to kind of keep that fifth star did he do enough i don't know we'll see but in terms of like i don't want that to take away from the fact that michigan's getting a very good football player
2: right and i think what i liked about Jaden is he kind of knew showing up that his back was against the wall like he he made sure to point that out like hey you guys have and i don't know if it's just us but maybe the media in general like you guys have forgotten about me and he pulled me aside and said look (laughs) do you remember when you got you know we first met after the fbu freshman all-american game and it's like now we're here at the elite 11 finals and it, it, it has been wild to see his his path, you know, what is that? Three, two, three years. Um, I, I, I view him. You said high floor. Like I think he might be one of the safest quarterback prospects. Is that a good way to put it?
1: I love the fit too. Yeah. Like he, he, he's obviously already, you know, sewn up and committed to Michigan, but you know, we keep coming back to, and it's not a knock. I mean, he's a, he's an elite level short to intermediate passer. And I thought, you know, I, I talked about maybe the lack of assertiveness and decisiveness from CJ Carr. I did not think that was an issue with Jay Davis. And the other thing that he did during the seven-on-seven seven portion, and he did it on night two in, in the pro day portion as well. You know, I saw him a month ago in Atlanta, and the biggest takeaway that I had there was like the ability to attack the deep third was a little bit concerning. You see him a month later. And from what we were made aware of, he's been kind of going through some things in terms of his arm mechanics, right? He's got a little bit of a hitch, ball drops a little bit in terms of his motion. He's trying to get that cleaned up and get it a little bit more condensed. It's a difficult thing to do, right? And I think mentally pretty taxing for a quarterback. I thought he did a really good job of just competing and throwing his weight around. And, you know, you talked about his mentality of feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm the forgotten man. I thought his performance this week was indicative of the type of competitor he is. And yeah, he might have not been the most talented arm out there, but there was no way that you were going to overlook him after this week either.
2: Right. I, I think you said it with Fit. Like, you're a Michigan fan, man. You got to be. I, you still, I, I, I think you need to be excited about him. He he is someone that can take care of the football, protect the football and get it to your perimeter playmakers when you need him to. Uh, I know I said earlier, like Cromwell, I I think might be one of the best or the best on the move throwing, but Jaden Davis also excels in that department. I thought some of his better balls from the week came when he was, working towards the numbers and asked to throw a you know a a a comeback or an out like he is putting it right in the receiver's face time and time again like that's where he makes his money and that's short to intermediate
1: air nolan the other name that always gets associated with Jaden davis and if you're keeping up on the rankings Jaden davis in the top 32 right now five star status air nolan Hoping to push for five-star status in, inside the top 50 of the top 247. Your thoughts of uh, Aaron Nolan this week?
2: I thought he came out hot. Um, maybe drifted back a little bit. But when you kind of go back through the entire week, I thought it was solid. I I, I still think he has a a, a very high ceiling. Um. I didn't get to see much of his seven on seven games. I'm gonna have to default to you there, but I, I think it's hard to come out of that event and not think he is one of the top six guys in the country.
1: He's struggling in the, in the seven on seven. I I liked what he did the night before. I mean, it's a long week. (laughs) It's a long week for these guys, right? I mean, you, you get to, I think you see a little bit of the fatigue, um, and in terms of, like, the level of focus that you have to rise to the occasion day in and day out, I think that's that's part of the event, right? And they're, they're putting you through NFL testing, uh, not only on the field, but off the field as well. I think Aaron Nolan did a really good job. We have him, I think, 47 right now, right, in terms of our quarterback rankings. And you yeah. and I discussed this on air, but, like, in terms of guys, like, where we have them ranked. Like, I love where Aaron Nolan is. You know, a bunch of Ohio State fans might, might beg to differ, but he's a winner. Like I said, I, I don't think what we saw this past week is indicative of what you're going to see on Fridays or Saturdays for years to come, right? Like, I think that's where you get the best version of Aaron Nolan. I think he's a gamer. I think he is excellent between the ears. And then in terms of, like, competitive temperament, leader, and intangibles – I think it's all plus plus, right? So, um, you know, you and I had talked about this, but, like, in terms of NFL upside, I mean, I feel like he just physically just, like, keeps sprouting.
2: Yeah, he looks like it. Kind of reminds me of, I mean, I know people are like, wait, what? Uh, Like, CJ Stroud, in terms of, like, when you saw him, and it's not like he's, like, lanky, but like you know that there's more there right when you look at the frame we we want to talk about growth potential and it's like he's only going to mature physically and what does he look like not only two years down the line but what does he look like four years down the line
1: i'm i'm excited about him because he's he's different quarterback than what they've had there in the past i feel like and you said it. I mean, he's, he's a pocket passer. He's quick twitch, but that's his arena, right? The pocket. That's where he is. We got, we got to see him distribute on night, too. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
2: Okay. You said you like where we have Air Nolan ranked. And I said on the YouTube broadcast, I like where we have DJ Lagway ranked. You know, the goods were really good. I think the bads were kind of bad. Uh, he had one of the worst seven on seven performances, was picked off twice, never found the end zone. That was, I believe, the last game of the day or the second last game of the day. Um but I thought DJ Lagway looked like he should be there. I thought there were flashes where you're like, "All right, if this guy gets it together, it, he's he could hit and he could be it could be huge." Um, I think we've discussed it here in this airspace. He's got such a big cannon for an arm that he doesn't really have to use his lower half. He's an upper body thrower and i think the biggest thing for him is going to be sinking sinking up the lower half the footwork and the arm the top half the torso
1: to me like he's he's a big ball of clay right we got him inside the top 50 right now you really learn to like just appreciate dj lagway when you turn on the tape right when when it's organized chaos And you get to see him at his best, which I think is, as a playmaker, when the play breaks down, the structure of the pocket and the structure of the offense is a completely different game, right? But I think when he has to be able to create, find explosive opportunities down the field or maybe create with his legs, that's where DJ Lagway starts to separate himself from the rest of the pack. Now, if you know anything about Elite 11, it's all about structure, right? You got 20 scripted plays. You got 15 minutes in a seven on seven setting. And then you have pretty much a stationary three hour workout on night one. I think the best way to describe him is he was a mixed bag and the talent is so intoxicating and maybe the floor is lower than some of these guys that we've talked about. He's got top 32 traits, right? So I think it's, it would be irresponsible for us not to keep him in that general neighborhood, regardless of what we've seen this week. And I think coming into the event, we know new mechanically that you know he wasn't a guy that was fully polished there. But you said it I, to me. It's it's the footwork. Like if you, it's it's almost like the the Josh Allen conundrum. Right, Like, where it, where's the issue with the accuracy? Well, athleticism, all, it all starts at the feet, right? So I think from mechanically, from a footwork standpoint, that's going to be the biggest issue facing him as he advances forward in his career. And if he can get that cleaned up, then to me, sky's the limit.
2: Like where we have him ranked. You want to go down the... Let's let's hit on some other guys. We're already we're already 42 minutes into this. Yeah, thing. I was about to
1: say I don't want to be on here an hour and a half, but um yeah, some some other names. I mean, I guess we can kind of I don't know, the names that I would say maybe surprised me were a little bit. Like I, I was doing research on Will Hammond up until I got to LA. You know, I mean he was he was a guy that I wasn't incredibly familiar with and then it was really kind of night two. He kind of stole my attention. He did some things night one that were like okay. Then you see him night two. He comes out and I think we scored him a, a thirty-seven on our grading scale, which computed to a a top three grade. And I like the physical build. He's athletic. He's he's hovering around six foot two. Like we just talked about, what DJ Lagway has to do to improve. I. I think Will Hammond's the opposite. I thought he was super clean and refined in terms of lower body and upper body mechanics. And people will say, all right, well, what does that compute to? Well, timing, anticipation, ball placement, accuracy. I thought that showed up throughout the week, and I, I thought it showed up in the, the accuracy challenge as well. And then I'll tell you what, like I really enjoyed meeting with him one-on-one. Like, I, I just kind of like the way that he goes about his business and. You can tell he is super mature, but not too serious, right? And is very confident in himself. And like there was no, I didn't I didn't feel like there was any chip on his shoulder. That was one of those those guys when you asked him, like, hey, what are you trying to get out of this week? Like, I'm surrounded by incredible people. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to be a sponge, but I'm also trying to compete. Right. So I think he had a heightened level of, of self-awareness and. I think I think Texas Tech's got a winner in him. I, I like him a lot.
2: So I, I just went back and I looked at my my write up on Will Hammond prior to the Elite Eleven. I said smaller framed RPO type that uses tight lines and not a, a ton of loft to hit his targets. Attacks different levels outside the numbers, clean footwork. Um wonder about his ability to hit deep shots, comfortable on the move, all about timing. Reminds me of of Jake Hayner, the Fresno State quarterback, who was – what was he selected, what? Fourth fourth round. But I come out of the Elite 11, and, like, Will Hammond is not smaller framed. Like, he is – he's kind of ready to go. And there's been some back and forth, you know, to take you inside at at 24-7 sports on on Will Hammond. And, like, one of my questions is, all right, like, what is his – what is the big trait? What is the big quality? Like, what what does he do best? And I don't know if there is one. And, and maybe that's what makes Will Hammond and Will Hammond. He's just solid all around.
1: He's well-rounded, right? I mean, it's the same thing as saying, Solid. But, I mean, he's... I don't think we've talked about that enough. I do think he is one of the more college-ready arms that we got to see in this setting over the last week. I, I liked him a lot. Drew, another name that I was... I was really kind of intrigued to to see was was Colin Hurley, the LSU commit out of out of Florida. And, you know, I think the biggest thing with him when he reclassified was obviously somebody that we had pretty highly ranked in 2025. But when we reclass when when we re-ranked him after his reclassification, you know, he lost his four star, went down to a, a high rated three star. Seeing him in person, it's it's hard. Like I was, Glenn West, who's over at Go Two Four Seven covering LSU. He was asking me about him, and I was just telling him it's like the the performance, which overall was a really positive one for Colin Hurley. And then you take taken to the fact that he was the youngest participant in the field. It wasn't it wasn't surprising, but at the end of the day we need to see that translate onto the field. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, Colin Hurley, what we've seen statistically, 23 games played, 53% completion rate, over 1,400 yards passing, 16 touchdowns to five INTs, right? So I think when you take into that consideration and listen, we take in, not only reprojecting the traits to sundays but the production as well you want to see the growth potential in the athlete the athletic upside there's a lot that gets baked into the cake and in terms of like the traits <laughs> zero question on colin hurley like joe sloan quarterbacks coach mike denbrock offense coordinator brian kelly as well like they're in a good spot, right? Like that—that that is a very talented quarterback that I think anybody in the country would be really excited to work with. I think for him it's just, are we going to see that on the field this year, right? And it kind of puts them in a tough spot because if you're looking at those numbers as a sophomore, it doesn't, it doesn't really concern you, right? I mean, how many cases of guys that we've seen, whether it's Jaden Davis or Aaron Olin and the list goes on and on where – I mean, Jaden Davis was what, like 55%, I think, as a sophomore? Yep. Jumped up to 72 as a junior, right? So sophomore to junior year, to me, not only physically, but on the field with quarterbacks, that is where you're going to see the most sizable jump in their game. So the the difficult part for the Colin Hurley evaluation is is that he doesn't get a junior year. He gets a senior year. So... Pivotal year for him, but in terms of like the arm talent, what we've seen from him, even like feel like he's grown a little bit. I double checked on that, and I don't think he's grown too much. But and he's an athlete, right? Broad chest, thick lower half, ball explodes off his hand, flashed a little bit of touch and being able to change velocity. I was I was super encouraged
2: with him. Drive ball thrower, right? He is. Sure. He's in tune uh, when it comes to using the lower half. I- on Hurley, look, I we, we said it. We thought he would do well at this event. I think we all we all kind of expected him to, to do well. Um, hard to overlook those red numbers, 54.3 percent, you know, yards per attempt, 8.46, interception rate one every 24.4 throws. Like those are all definitely red numbers. Um, uh, but I think we leave LA with the thought being, hey. Colin Hurley isn't that far off, maybe, than some of these other guys, right? Some of these, like, for a reclass, I, I, I that, that's how I kind of come out of it. Physically, looked the part, matched up with everyone there. Uh, arm was there. So you, you mentioned it. I think what should be his junior season, it's going to be his senior season, it will be big. But I think I kind of came in again, I thought he was going to do well, but, there was the, there was in the back of your head. All right. Like what if he shells up? What if things don't go well? You know, what does that mean long-term? And it was the complete opposite.
1: All right, Drew, let's try to get out of here in the next 10 minutes. Cause I, I see the work piling up on our decks on our desk as I'm looking down on the phone, but four other names. And if you want to add another name that you want to talk, talk about here, feel free to, to put them in there. But I think for me, Drew, Daniel Kalen out of Nebraska, heading to Nebraska, going to play for Matt Rule.
2: Yeah, won the accuracy challenge.
1: Had a really strong week. Ethan Gronkemeyer, baby Gronk, as uh, Greg Biggins (laughs) refers to. Big week. We'll talk about him here in a second. Trevor Jackson as well. The lone, uncommitted prospect of the Elite 11. And then Haas Haney is going to be playing his ball at TCU. Drew, I'll kind of let you take it in whatever direction, and then I'll pick up the slack from there.
2: Uh, Let's talk about Haas Haney. Wasn't in our final rankings probably the one i wish we had got in there i just don't know how we would have got him in there i think we've said it like five times on this podcast i know we said it like every youtube show love the fit at tcu um he's not the biggest kid but he is explosive right um and he is a guy that can run the football i mean he has legitimate verified track speed loved interviewing him, meeting him, talking with him. Love the mindset, guy who likes to strum the guitar in his free time. So I thought it was a really good week for him. And I'm sure there's some Horn Frog fans out there. It's like, you guys keep hyping him up, but he didn't make it. I think it was like the guy that was on the final cutting block when we were asked to finalize our rankings in two minutes um, in the corner of Verdano Union High School after staring at seven-on-seven play for four straight hours. So that was, that was fun. Um Trevor Jackson, I mean, you called it, right? Recruiting's gonna take off. I, I bumped into him and his family at OT seven on Sunday. Super nice people. Um his his brother actually plays defensive end at, at Florida Atlantic. So I've I've known the family for quite some time. Maryland offered, I think, Saturday morning, right? When you were flying back across the country. Trevor going to throw at Miami on Thursday, he also said Michigan State is in contact. So you were spot on there. I mean, he, aside from Colin Hurley, he's one of the youngest players in the field. He is, he is 16 years old. He, you want to talk about clay <laughs> that can be molded. Um, the arm is is strong. He, he made one throw. What was it during his pro day? You, you turned to me, you said that's an NFL throw. Just has to get consistent. Um, his seven on seven game was all over the place, but man, in an era where there are is so much quarterback movement, right? Everyone's in the transfer portal. If I'm a school out there and I can I can talk my offensive coordinator into it, I can talk my current quarterback commit. Like, why do you not take him as a second QB with the understanding, hey, he is going to redshirt, like almost like a gray shirt. Like I, you know, I I, I just. I keep thinking about that. Um, I'd be
1: I'd, I'd be excited if he was my only quarterback in the class. And here's here's my issue: like in Miami, Michigan State, in Maryland, might be catching some strays here. Why do you have to wait until Elite Eleven to have the validation to make your move?
2: Well, Coop, I mean, guy uh, Trevor was dinged up last season, right? Separated shoulder. He doesn't have a ton of starts. And to be honest, I was at a spring game and it it really wasn't, wasn't that great. So, you know, I'll push back in that way.
1: Well, I, I understand, but what, what, what do you have to hear from anybody in the recruiting industry or anybody out there that you didn't already know? I guess what I'm saying is like, there's a window of opportunity for these programs and I'll give Pitt a lot of credit Right. Who made their move on Trevor Jackson pretty early here. I don't know. I don't I, I don't understand it to me. I guess what I'm saying is like somebody asked, like, hey, how is Penn State having this success? Right. Like Ethan Gronkemeyer, Jackson Smolik. Well, Jackson Smolik was kind of in the same case last year. With what we saw. Right. Penn State was more in a little bit of reactionary mode. But Ethan Gronkemeyer, it's like, well, they're very aware of the quarterback market in their surroundings. They understand it understand their board, they've been through their process, they've done their homework, and now it's time to be assertive and make a decision. I'm not trying to railroad the podcast here, but it's like – I mean, we called this weeks ago on Trevor Jackson. He's 16 years old. He's got a live arm. There's a lot of polish that needs to happen, but you have to wait for the Elite 11 to get the validation that you need to go pull the trigger on a guy. Anyway.
2: Let's talk about grunks. I like grunk. I'm a fan. <laughs> I like Gronk a lot. His, um. his uh, I, I feel like we use the same terms over and over and over again. But he has a strong arm, and I, I, <laughs> I went back. I was like going through Instagram reels or something, and it was night one when they uh, had to make, it was like six throws to different levels, one by one, and they had all the cameras around him, like. Dude, he, it just, it comes off his hand so fast, like a screaming missile. Um, And he's someone that I don't, his best football isn't even close to being, to being played. Uh, he's just, he's just, you know, it, it looks natural to him. And he's really good at attacking the center of the defense, that second level. Uh, you charted his seven on seven game. But when I looked over, I'm like, dude, this is a, one of the only guys that's like, Effort. I'm 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 taking my shots over the middle. I'm not trying to check down.
1: He was letting it rip. I think he got a, a little bit more and more comfortable as the as the week kind of went on. You know, I thought week or or day one. Um, I don't want to say it was a mixed bag. I actually think he ended up um, playing quite well on night one. But I think initially, you know, there were some things that he was probably a little nervous. I would say. Um, and then you get into the week and you're like, all right. The for some of these guys, I feel like the fact that there is no expectation for them to uh, perform at a high level, that almost is a positive for them. And I think in a guy like Ethan Grunkmeyer, and certainly in his case, it was. Um, but I enjoyed watching him, Drew. You you talked about it. I think you know you talked about Colin Hurley's ability to be a drive ball thrower. I kind of thought the same thing with Ethan Gronkemeyer, right? Like that second that second layer of the defense, which is like 15 to 20 yards, his ability to throw over routes. And they just, you know, for me, it was like one of those things you're like, okay, um, you know, this guy's got a little bit something to him. Um, Like him, love what Penn state's getting. And I kind of like, I really like how that quarterback room's kind of lining up. Right. You got two more years of, of Drew Aller. And then, you know, from there, Jackson, Jackson Smolik, and then Ethan Gronkenmeyer. Right. So, they're set up in a pretty good spot.
2: Was there was there another quarterback you had in that group, or was it just those three?
1: Daniel Kalen. I, I thought
2: we talked about Kalen.
1: I, I don't think we did. I think we mentioned him. I mentioned him. I didn't. We we didn't really get in depth on him, but I kind of had him circled coming into in the event because I I liked what he did at the Elite Eleven Regionals in Ohio, and I thought, all right, here's this guy, big frame, strong arm, can push the ball downfield. And then he just kind of settled in. You get around his personality a little bit. He's a pretty like jovial kid, likes to joke around. He was just having fun, man, in the moment as well. I think he had the highest score in the accuracy challenge on day three.
2: He did. He can rip he it. I,
1: I really love what Nebraska is getting there. I mean, you talk about a guy like similar to Rayola. I kind of like him in a play action-based offense, right? Um,
2: I pointed this out. Uh Second elite eleven invite ever from the state of Nebraska. You thought I was going to like say someone from like ten years ago, Zane Flores, who is now at Oklahoma State, was the first. But you know, I think, and Zane performed very well last year at the Elite Eleven Finals. Like I, I do, think it says something to show up in that setting, right, where you know traditionally quarter, you know, signal callers from that state aren't there, and and to hold your own. I like the frame. Right, I'm. I'm kind of a frame quarterback. Uh, he's, is he pushing six three? I, I think we like list him at like oh, six. For two. sure,
1: for sure. In my opinion, I mean, you compare him to some of those other guys. He's got to be hovering around. I mean, he's six two and change at least, at least.
2: Uh, one more, Damond Williams, headed to Ole Miss. I think he was another guy that there was a brief conversation about trying to get him in to our final rankings. Um, you know, he is a, a dual threat guy and he like Haas Henny, isn't the biggest dude, but I thought his ability to get the ball to some corners of the field certainly stood out just for him being his size. And I think him going to Ole Miss, I like the fit um, because and, and I think Lane Kiffin kind of caters to what he has at quarterback or, or the strengths of his offense. Um, you know, I, I watched Lane when he was at FAU, and it would kind of depend on the personnel. And I just think DeMond is someone you can get e- extremely creative with. Now he's going to a quarterback room that is constantly seeing turnover and veterans enter, and you got Austin Simmons – Reclassifying from 2025 to 2023, but I I would not don't don't forget the name Demon Williams.
1: He's kind of he, he's got a little bit of a Matt Corralish kind of play style vibe to him, and what I mean by that is like you watch Matt Corral, he was super active in the pocket, slippery. You know, I think that was the best way to kind of describe him. Super fluid mover, kind of elastic in the way he moves, but also in the same with the arm angles as well. Now I'm talking about Demon Williams, but you said it, Drew. He gets the ball to where it needs to go at the end of the day, and maybe this was not his setting, but I also think it says a lot. The Elite 11 had, had him as a finalist, right, in the, in the top 11, I believe. So he did some things, maybe not some things that we all picked up on throughout the week, but you turn on the tape, like the other part about him, he's 2-0 against Dylan Rayola, right, at Basha. So he's, he, he's and he's a gamer, right? Like he, he had the gamer tag coming into the event. You know, this week is sometimes, man. It's easy to overlook those guys, but I think you got to go back to the tape, and you'll get an appreciation for him.
2: Chris Singletary, our colleague, like loves him, and I don't know if i, I wouldn't say I was down on Demon coming into it, but I, I was like, all right, I need to see this. And I come out, return back home, and I'm like, okay, I get it. And you mentioned the gamer tag two and zero against Dylan Rayola. I mean, his interception rate—one of the best out there. His tape is fun. Completes sixty-nine percent of his passes. Twenty-eight and four. Um, there's just a lot to like.
1: All right, Drew, you ready to get out of here?
2: Yeah, buddy, I'm. I'm ready, man. It doesn't stop. Future fifty on deck.
1: <laughs> Forgot about future fifty. My wife's going to kill me, man. Been married for what three weeks, and it's two road trips already. I got a lot of catching up to do. That's good, man. We're, we're seeing some good football players.
2: Can I can I toss out uh one funny thing that happened from the Elite 11 finals that I've told you, but has not has not been broadcast yet?
1: Let's get it out there.
2: So I wrote I wrote that story about kind of you know the quarterbacks and their hobbies and their side hustles and, and whatnot, you know, when I asked them the off-the-wall questions. So Dylan Rayola likes to cut hair, CJ Carr. Big chess player, uh, Aaron Nolan. He's a poet. Um, Haas Haney. I said he's on the guitar. I mean, it was it was a fun story. It was probably one of the better things that I've written. And it'll be cool to look back on a few years from now. Dante Reno, the South Carolina commit. He told me he was a elite ping pong player. Well, I guess I should have fact checked that because, man, someone found my personal email and I uh, was going to quick workout in. Before Friday. Got an email from Olympic 88. This guy found my found my personal email. I don't know how he did that. Headline, not an elite ping ponger. Andrew, I seriously doubt Dante Reno is an elite ping pong player. What proof did he give you? His dad coaches at college and they have a tournament, so he must be an elite player? Come on. Sean <laughs> O'Neill, former elite <laughs> ping pong player. Dude, dude. Dude.
1: Yeah, dude, you best you best come at the crown if you're coming at Mr. Sean O'Neill, dude. What a email. I know what is it, what is the uh what's the handle?
2: Olympic eighty-eight. So yeah, a quick I, I, a, quick Google, right? Quick Google Google search. Sean O'Neill, is uh he <laughs> he's won he won national championships. Under 11, under 13, under 15, under 17, five times. I don't even know how you do that. Under 21 uh, and over 30 events. Played in the Pan Am games. Played in the Olympics. Yeah, so. uh All right, so uh,
1: mister oneill O'Neal's got
2: some credibility is what we're saying. <laughs> Might need to get him on the pod.
1: I, hey, man. There's a lot of a lot of debate pods going on out there right now. We might have to get you and O'Neill out there. Maybe we do it for for oh, charity. Contribute. You O'Neill Dante Contrib- Reno roundtable
2: Con- contributor <laughs> to the NBC's Olympic coverage in Athens in two thousand and four, Tokyo in twenty twenty one, Rio in 2016. I, dude, I can't wait for the Olympics. It's got contacts, dude.
1: He found your personal email.
2: Yeah, I thought it was a joke. <laughs>
1: I love that. Actually, I might give me shoot me his email because I'm I might, um, you know, Pate's Pate's the one claiming that he's the uh, king of the office in Nashville. So I might I might need a couple of lessons from uh, Mr. O'Neill.
2: Does he do motivational speaking? Like I'm getting this guy at the next conference. <laughs>
1: That's our guy. That's our guy. All right, Drew, we got to go for our director of scouting Andrew Ivins, our producer Lance Quinn, for Mr. O'Neill. I'm Cooper Bittagna. Guys, thanks for listening to 24-7 Sports Football Recording Podcast this evening.
0: From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the Siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band YouTube. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.